This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. I'm Melissa Miller. So Melissa, tell me what you've been curious about lately. I have been curious about how we as moms can best support somebody going through something really hard. And today, we brought one of my dearest friends on the show, uh, Stephanie Rosman. Stephanie and I, I was thinking about this last night. We met when one of our kids was three, and those kids have now turned nine. So we've been great friends for six years. About three years ago, on August 5th, I will never forget because it was my birthday, (laughs) um, she received the worst news possible that she had breast cancer. And she was only 36 at the time. And us as her friends, it was terrifying and scary, but also something so new, this world that we had no clue how to support a friend going through, you know? I feel like when people have babies, we know what to do, right? Like instantly we get the meals going, we know how to offer support, but this world of cancer is terrifying and you want to desperately help the people that you love and you feel so Mm ill-equipped and so I really was hopeful that we could bring Stephanie on to help mamas out there know how to support their friends through something so horrible because there's not a book out on this you know like there's not a how-to and you have no clue what your friend is about to go through and so it's really scary so Welcome, Stephanie. Good morning. Thanks for having me on, ladies. We are very happy to have you. So tell, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like, what triggered your diagnosis of cancer, and what that process was like for you to go through? Yes. So like Melissa said, I was 36 when I found a lump. It was July of 2016, and I remember you know being in the shower, doing self-exam, and I was like, okay, this doesn't feel right. Called my OBGYN's office, and through a very frustrating process, it took a couple weeks to get in, was able to finally get in, and I remember it wasn't my normal OBGYN, but they were like, oh, we're you know pretty pretty sure that this is just. Um, you know, a benign tumor. I even forget like the word they use, but they're like, so we can either go ahead and have you do a mammogram or we go in and basically when they stick it with a needle to kind of just like, yeah, just take a sample of it. No, it wasn't a sample. It was just like basically saying this is nothing. We'll drain it. We're draining it. Yeah. Like something to that effect. There is a Mm -hmm. word for it. Now I totally forget the medical work. But anyway, I was like, yeah, let's go the less invasive method. And I assumed I was leaving that office and I was going right across the hall to get a mammogram. And that wasn't the case. I had to schedule that appointment. Mm -hmm. So a couple weeks later, was able to finally have the right order put in for a mammogram of both breasts, not just the left side where I found the, the lump and was able to get in and had the mammogram. And they also did an ultrasound at the same time. And when the radiologist came in, that was my, my oh shit moment. I don't know if this is swear, but that was my, I can believe this is, <laughs> this is, um, this, this is, this is something's not right. Something's not good. And they were like, okay, we want to get you in for a biopsy. And I just remember sitting there thinking, okay, everything's going to be fine. My cousin had a very similar scare a couple years ago. It's going to be the same situation. And went in, I think it was a Wednesday 
afternoon for the biopsy and on the ultrasound they'd also found another lump that I hadn't felt <clears throat> and I had a lymph node that was actually enlarged as well. Mm. So they biopsied three different locations. And they're like, because we did this on a Wednesday afternoon, we won't have results until Monday. Mm-hmm. We were going out of town that weekend. My husband was like, should we still go? I'm like, yes, I don't want to be here. I want to leave town. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about this. We'll worry about it when we get back. Going that to waiting had to be torture. Yes. yes. But I was like, so I just need to be away from this space. Just leave Charlotte. We're going to meet my new niece. We're going to the beach. So let's go. What, uh... Friday, I remember. I will never forget where I was, what I was doing. Mia was at soccer camp with um, our other close friend in the neighborhood and her, his her little boy. So it was a half day camp. She was. We picked them up. We went to lunch, and I was like, "I got to go run some errands." So she's like, "I'll take Mia, so you can go get those done, so you can get packed and ready for your trip." So I'm in Marshalls, buying sports bras. Oddly enough, at the checkout counter. And I have a phone call from the OBGYN's office. I'm like, well, that's odd because my follow-up's with the radiologist. So why are they calling me? Mm-hmm. So I answered the phone and it was the OBGYN I had seen. And he was like, I just wanted to call. I just got your results and wanted to let you know that all three biopsies came back with positive results for cancer. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. That's not possible. That doesn't seem right. And why are you calling? And so I'm checking out and I'm just standing there and this lady's like, do you... Need I'm like just wrap up, wrap this up, and I've got I got to go outside. So it was never like, are you somewhere you can talk? Yeah. Are your kids with yeah. you? Yeah. Are you driving? Like that was still like, is this am a I good a moment, right? Like to this day, that is one of my biggest moments of frustration was the way it was delivered because yeah. it just isn't how. I mean, you obviously never expect to get that news, but to get that over the phone while you're in the checkout line, and what if I had been driving, or what if I had my kids with me? Thankfully, that wasn't the situation. So I went and sat in my car and was just bawling my eyes out. Couldn't get a hold of my husband. Meanwhile, he had just started as a nurse, oddly enough, at CMC Pineville. Couldn't get a hold of him because he's in training. I called my dear friend, Grace, who had my daughter, and I'm like, what do I do? And she was like, well, come here. I'm like, I can't come there because I don't want my kids to know this shit. I don't even know what this means yet. So uh, she was like, okay, come home. I will have Ingrid, our other neighbor, come over. She's like, and we'll we'll figure out what we need to do. We'll, yeah. we'll get this taken care of. So then I called my parents and had to calm myself down before I was able to drive home. And so that was that was the day. Yeah, I got that terrible, awful news. Yeah. And we still went away for the weekend because I was like, I just need to again take the time to not think about this and process, come back and we'll, we'll take this head on. Yeah. What did the course of treatment look like? Because your treatment lasted a year. Yeah. Almost almost a year. Right. So can you tell us all the different things that you had to go through in that year? Yep. So you get that diagnosis. I went in and met with the radiologist. Obviously I already knew that I was, you know, that it was positive, but didn't have any of the staging information when I got that initial phone call. So I found out it was stage two because it was in the lymph nodes. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to do neoadjuvant chemo, which means chemo prior to surgery. So I met with two different surgeons and both basically laid out the same course of treatment, which mm-hmm. I felt good about. So I was at Novant, but I went over to Levine and got a second opinion. And the surgeon I met with there was a little bit more conservative as far as the surgery piece went. So I opted to go that route. So it was get a port in because I was going to have 16 rounds of chemo. Mm. Um, so I had my first surgery. It was the weekend of Labor Day. Um, had a port put in and that was my first time ever having surgery other, and literally being in the hospital besides giving, giving birth to birth, my children. Yeah. 
And so it was overwhelming and scary. And they're like, we're going to give you propofol. You know, like the stuff that Michael Jackson took. I'm like, okay, not really. I you want to start Doesn't this sound day. Right. Um, but you wake up and it's fine. And, you know, went um, for four rounds of chemo where it was two drugs together. Those were the worst. It was every two weeks. And those it was the one where, you know, your hair is going to fall out. And... Mm impacts different people differently obviously but mm-hmm. I lost a lot of weight some people gain a lot of weight mm-hmm. but I was probably 15 pounds all in 15 pounds down mm-hmm. from where I was when I started chemo so four rounds of that 12 rounds of weekly chemo that was just one drug and then I had like a four to six week window after chemo wrapped up uh, before I had surgery and I just I had a lumpectomy I opted not to do the double mastectomy which initially I was like taking both don't want mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. but it was not genetic so I opted to not do double mastectomy and then I had a four to six week break and I started radiation and I had radiation every day Monday through Friday for 30 treatments wow and so I finished <sighs> the Friday before Memorial Day weekend of 2017 wow so just had my two-year anniversary yeah. of finishing treatment yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> last weekend yeah so wow it was a very long road and I know Melissa was there to celebrate me the obviously the biggest and the longest and probably the just the most taxing physically mentally and emotionally was chemo and I didn't realize it until after I finished the chemo that it was the most taxing mentally and emotionally yeah and you know all my friends kind of celebrated that and my husband was very nervous about celebrating the end of just that first component he's like you still have a long way to go and that's kind of when I hit my wall after I finished the chemo I was like Mm -hmm. oh crap yeah I still have have cancer yeah Yeah. and that's when I really realized yeah what I had just been through for 16 weeks of chemo and I was like wow I have breast cancer yeah and I'm 36 and a mom of two yeah what were, what were those conversations like with your kids? They were six and three at the time. I feel like my son was still really young and didn't get it. You know, we talked very openly about what they would recognize and notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to be as honest and open with them as I could be without scaring them. Yes. I and mean, obviously it's, yeah. a, it's a fine balance. The biggest component I think I knew for my daughter was going to be the fact that I was going to lose my hair. Yes. Yeah. And so I cut my hair first and donated it, which I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to give back first. Went and looked at wigs, but I opted not to do a wig. And they said 17 days after your first chemo treatment is when your hair will fall out. And mm. it was like literally to the Spot day. On. I remember being in the shower and like hair was just coming out in clumps. And I told my husband, I'm like, okay, it's time to shave it. My sister-in-law was here. We were doing the very first Susan G. Komen race for the cure as, you know, me being a survivor. They yes. can't considering you a survivor from day one. And I was like, okay. So Friday night before the, the race or the walk the next morning, my husband and my sister-in-law were buzzing my head in our master bathroom. And mm-hmm. it was emotional and difficult. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't recognize the person looking back at you. Yes. And then to have to show your kids the next day. And I came down with the hat on and mm-hmm. took it off and showed them. And then my daughter was like, okay, you can put it back on now. <laughs> and you're like, okay, yeah. well, this is, gonna, this, is, this is what I'm going to look like for the next how many months yeah. and but over time it got easier yeah and yeah. I think it opened up a lot of great conversations with my kids especially her of 
mommy, are you scared of people making fun of you? Do you uh, think they're going to, you know, because you look different on the outside, how is that going? Are, are you worried people are going to say things? Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Because I'm still the same person on the inside. So just because I look like this on the outside doesn't, doesn't mean I'm not the same mom yes. or the same friend or the same sister or the same wife yeah. To, yeah. to daddy. So that opened, there were a lot of really good teachable moments. Yeah. Didn't always have the right answer at the time, but we would kind of always circle back to it. Yeah. Where would you go to find those answers? I know I had a, a friend who said that she was like, especially the talking about losing the hair piece, she had to really regroup to come up with a strategy. Like where, what were kind of your go-to resources? I think the radiologist, I think, I believe they gave us something and they gave us like bears, like these two cute little bears to give to the kids. Like when we told them and we just called them like our, our cancer bears. And we're Mm -hmm. like, if you're upset or you're scared or you're nervous, like let's, let's bring them out and, you know, hold them and, and talk about it. So I kind of used that as a tool, like, I didn't want to push it on them. I didn't want, you know, especially girls. I think there's sometimes, you know, I was a very, I'm a very open and honest person. I like to talk things through a lot, almost to a fault at times. And my daughter's not that way. So I kind of had to be cognizant of oversharing and bombarding her with information. Yeah. So when we wanted to talk about it, we brought that out. Um, So I think they gave us a book and then there is, and we didn't utilize it, but there's the buddy camp with Nuvon, which you can use I think either, regardless of whether you go with Levine Atrium or Novant Presby, they have a, a, a camp for children to kind mm-hmm. of talk through, like, you know, when they have a parent who's been diagnosed. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I just probably looked stuff up or I just felt like just being open and honest. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was also important for us as your friends with our kids to be having those conversations too to prep them because they were seeing you as well and they play with your kids and so we all really wanted to send the right message so that nothing was ever said I would hate for my kid to be like oh my gosh what's wrong with Miss Stephanie or like (laughs) Mia what's going on with your mom right and so really prepping our kids Mm -hmm. and it is really amazing how smart kids mm-hmm. are and the mm-hmm. questions they ask and and also how scared they can be yeah. right like I remember us kind of telling our kids like okay so we're gonna see Miss um, Stephanie and Mia and Chase and their in their family tomorrow and Miss Stephanie's not gonna have any hair mm-hmm. and so them being like oh okay mm-hmm. hang on what does that mean and mm-hmm. the the hardest question that my kids asked was she has cancer does this mean she's gonna die right. and mm-hmm. just you know Really, yeah, really scary questions that your kids have that they need to ask. But also for for my kids and all all of Mia and Chase's friends to have a really positive stance, so that if Mia and Chase were feeling that, then they could be like, "No, this is going to be fine. She's Mm -hmm. doing everything she needs to do." Uh, Yeah, and it's funny how literal kids are. When we had a friend going through it for a while, if my son saw anybody with very short hair who was female. He just assumed that they also had cancer. And so he yeah. had told us about a friend's mom who had cancer. And we were, you know, trying to think of, like, what do we do to reach out? And, and then we figured out that she just had short hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's sweet that they recognize that. Because I catch myself doing it, too. But, you know, I feel like it does go to show them. It, it does go to show that these kids like you said, are so smart and they Mm -hmm. become so perceptive. And when it becomes part of their world, regardless of whether it's like their direct family or a friend's family, that they're cognizant out of it and Mm -hmm. aware. And Mm -hmm. I think 
it's just being okay with answering questions. I mean, mm-hmm. they will come up and ask you things and you're like, it's okay because they're kids. Yeah. And, you know, is it contagious? No, it's not. Well, how yeah. did you get it? You know, yeah. so it's just being honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, with obviously taking it down levels from the conversations that we have as adults, mm-hmm. but being honest with them about it and mm-hmm. knowing that it's okay to ask questions. Nothing yeah. is silly. Yeah. So. So let me ask a little bit about your community of friends and family and how they supported you. I feel like there was a lot of great celebration and I'm wondering what you found to be supportive so that you can kind of teach other friends what was a great way to support, what are not good ways to support. <laughs> we are lucky enough to have an amazing friend named Grace, and she just seems to intuitively know how to love on people and take care. So she really led the charge of your team, but I'm not sure everybody has a Grace. So how can you train people? Right. So yes, to Melissa's point, we I'm so blessed. I've lived from Ohio. I lived in Florida and then moved here. And we've been here for about seven years now. And luckily have Grace in my backyard. But met mm-hmm. Melissa and a lot of other wonderful friends through my daycare days and mm-hmm. then going to a great elementary school. So I just had a really, and I will, you know, it's mostly like a test. I will talk to anybody and everybody. So everyone's <laughs> like, how do you know all these people? I'm like, I just love people. So I just... You know, I think it's a testament to you how you are as a person when I had this outpouring of love and support and people that just rallied around, not just me, but our entire family. Mm-hmm. Um, what? When can we take the kids? It, it wasn't even when can we take the kids. It was like, I'm coming to take your kids. This yes. is what we're doing. Because one of the biggest things for me was I wanted to maintain as much normalcy as possible for my kids. I didn't mm-hmm. want them to feel like they couldn't continue with sports and school stuff. And, and that was just me. That's my personality. And if you have to cut back on things, obviously, by all means, that's, you know, first and foremost, what has to what has to happen. So you could take care of your health and get back to being the best version of mom you can mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, we had a meal train. So I think a lot of it is similar to, like you said, reaching out when people are having a, a baby. I mean, it's meal trains it was I think the biggest help was a cleaning lady I mean Mm. that was huge anything that took something off of my plate or that of my husband's plate yeah that allowed us to spend time as a family where we weren't like you know having the help you know having to clean up the house laundry I think is probably another big thing um and these were done um grace organized through that you could donate money that would go in and she would organize a cleaning crew to come in Uh but there are also laundry services in town that you could do the same for so really um we you also can i just say this you had a facebook page that you were really good about kind of writing your journey your experience what was happening so it kept people in the loop but then also grace was able to then send out emails and tell people like we've done cleaning services for the past two months but we need more now and so it was a reminder for people to keep Right. Kind of yeah. giving. Yeah. So yeah. one of my college roommates um, who lives in Ohio, so she created the Facebook page. And I think that was that was probably one of the biggest helps because there would be days I would come home and like, it, you know, the text messages, which are great and the emails and mm-hmm. the phone calls and you 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 love feeling the love, but it's overwhelming and it's yes. exhausting. And you're like trying to keep up with your parents and your in-laws and your siblings and your sister, you know, your brother mm-hmm. and sister-in-laws. And it's a lot of people to keep up to date on stuff. So 
the Facebook page was great. It was one place that everybody could go to get that information. Yeah. And there were a couple administrators besides me being able to post stuff so they could go and say, Stephanie has chemo this week or whatever. So mm-hmm. I, one of the biggest things was having somebody at chemo with me. Mm-hmm. And I literally don't think, I, besides my husband, had the same person twice. I had 16 rounds of chemo. Yeah. And it was great because it was three hours or pl- how, I don't even remember how long it was now that I was there of uninterrupted time just like chatting with somebody. But also, you know, Melissa came with me and she got to experience my my Benadryl overdose. It's like, oh, I guess I'm like, um, I feel really weird. And they're like, we just gave you Benadryl. And I'm like, I don't even, I can't. It was like, I slept and it was okay. So it's just having the people that you feel comfortable enough, like sitting there with for three hours, talking or not talking, reading a magazine or sleeping or whatever, Mm -hmm. but just knowing you have somebody sitting there while you have all these drugs like pumped into your body. Um, Let's talk for a second about helping somebody prepare for how to join a friend in chemo because there are some do's and don'ts, right? And so we brought a lot of food, so we had options if we wanted to eat. We had magazines. I think there was also, I think we watched a show together, yes. blankets, and what would you suggest people bring and they don't bring yes. during that time? So I had a bag. It was the chemo bag, which has since been demolished or thrown uh-huh. away. Um, <laughs> I bet that felt really good. <laughs> <laughs> Along with the hats that yeah. you're just like, I'm done wearing because, you know, I, my hat was... My head was sweaty after months of wearing a hat. Yeah. Um, so I had my bag and I just had my like standard thing. So it was like, um, like Jolly Ranchers or something that you could like suck on because when they go and like access your port, it can taste like very metallic. So yeah. I just had friends that did research and got me different things. And then I figured out what worked. And so I had that a magazine or a book, you know, we would bring either DVDs or, I know, they had the TVs there, blanket. I always brought a sweater or sweatshirt because you just get cold sitting there. And food. So I feel like it was more just like bland food. You're not, mm-hmm. obviously, it's kind of like the workplace. You're not going to bring in your stinky <laughs> that you're going to heat up in the microwave or something like that. I mean... Just, yeah, all those, like, creature comforts, and I had little things that, you know, my cousin had sent me, you know, when we were growing up, we both loved strawberry shortcake, and so I have, like, a little strawberry shortcake doll. So, like, just something that is a reminder of, you know, from somebody that loves and cares for you, but isn't right there Mm -hmm. with you Mm -hmm. at that time. Having all of your your creature comforts and the things that, you know, are going to make sitting in a chair, actually, it's actually not a bad chair, it's not a bad setup Mm -hmm. for the the patient, Uh I mean, the person who's with you gets this little you know kind of a shaft of a situation but you're sitting there in a recliner and I mean they do everything they can I think at Levine to make you as a patient as comfortable as possible and which I think is a true testament to you know sadly how many people go through this but there it was great and there were times I didn't want to have anybody there with me I remember there was a week that I was just in a really foul mood and I had a friend that was going to, a neighbor that was supposed to come with me. And I was just like, I don't want anybody to come with me today. Uh-huh. And just being okay and just as the friend being like, okay, I get it. Like, yeah. I'll come next time. Or respecting whatever yeah. you Respecting need. the wishes of the person. Because yeah. I was just in a bad place. It was the middle of treatment. I was like, I am halfway done. And I still have a really long way to go. Yeah. And- can you describe how you felt through chemo so that people can have an idea of how to care for you? Yep. 
Um, so the key, the day of chemo and the day after weren't really bad. It was probably like the second or third day. And again, it depends on the drugs that you're getting. So everybody's situation is different. But when I had the two, the adriamycin and cytoxin together, it was just, a, they were heavy hitters and mm-hmm. they were, you know, when, the, when the nurse comes in and has to put on like all of the gear <laughs> to give you this drug and it's red and you're like, oh my gosh, like that's going in my system. It's kind of overwhelming and yeah. scary. I've heard adriamycin is referred to as the red devil. The red devil. Mm-hmm. Yep. So oh, that just mm-hmm. sounds awful. <laughs> right. So it's, yeah, you're like, okay, great. I never took ibuprofen before. If I, had, I mean, I had to have a horrible migraine and now you're going to put yeah. all of this in my body and yeah, but so the two or three days after I would be really tired and drained and I just remember them my doctors and my oncologists always telling me every day no matter how tired you are get up and just get go for a walk Mm -hmm. so I had neighbors who would every day I'd be like okay let's go I know you don't want to do it but it it just helps you get over that hump and Mm -hmm. not feel like you're just sitting around I mean it's like they're like it's not I remember my surgeon telling me he's like this isn't the 1950s like you're not going to be bedridden for the next five, six months, you can still live life. Mm -hmm. You don't have to hold yourself up in your house. And so I think that's the biggest thing is, I mean, obviously if you're feeling up to it, continuing to do as much as you can within reason. Mm -hmm. It's not like, okay, I'm not going to go run a 5k. I'm not going to go do all these crazy off the wall things, but I was still walking every day. I still Mm -hmm. went out to lunch with my girlfriends. Mm -hmm. We still went out, we went out to dinner and celebrated a friend making her partner, you still want to be included. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone else's life is still going on. Yeah. And you just feel like I, you feel sorry for yourself. You're Mm -hmm. sitting at home and you're like, well, I'm bald and I don't Mm -hmm. have eyebrows and Mm -hmm. none of my clothes fit because I've lost all this weight Mm -hmm. or it could be the opposite. I've gained all this weight Mm -hmm. and you feel sorry and Mm -hmm. sad, but you just want to still be part of everybody's life Mm -hmm. and you still want to be included and you don't want it to always just be about cancer. Well, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? So that's the biggest piece of advice I can give, I think is really just letting them still be part of the normal everyday life Yeah, and including them in the celebrations. They might not feel like going. I mean, there was, my birthday was planned and I last minute I was told Grace, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to go out. I don't Mm want to celebrate my birthday this year. We'll celebrate it when I'm done with cancer Mm -hmm. treatment. Mm -hmm but I don't want to celebrate it right now. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the thing that I'm hearing kind of is that it matters a lot for your support network to have a lot of flexibility in understanding that you're not going to return texts always. You're not, you know, you may cancel at the last minute and you may not want to go for a walk or have somebody accompany you and you may just be in a really foul mood and it's not about them, you know? And I think that that's, it's really essential to understand that because... Um, I can imagine that you will feel this pressure and then you don't want the friends to feel like they're supposed to back off because Stephanie's mad or, you know, like, because it's not about them. (laughs) And I think that that probably, it just takes a little bit of self-coaching. You know, I I always tell people if you're sending this support text to make sure it comes through in a way that there's no need to respond, you know, so that you're not putting an obligation out there and you're not going to take it personally that they don't respond. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think people really just have this tendency to want to support well, but also if they don't get positive feedback, they're going to take it, they can take it personally and it matters for you to know, don't take it personally. And I think to Melissa's point earlier, like, you know, about having a grace, I mean, I think it's, it is helpful to have a point person that's 
kind of driving all of it. So you said to your point, it's not having all of these people reaching out constantly. What can I do? Or yes. And I think it's always hard because we always want to do help. We always do want to help, but we say, what can we do? I yes. Mean, the person who you're asking might not know at that time. What do I, what do I need? But if it's a friend from school and they have kids the same age, it's saying, I'm going to take your kids on Wednesday after school, as long as you have no activities and I'm going to bring them over to my house for a play date and dinner. Yeah. So having an idea of some of the things that you know would be helpful that may may or may not have happened before mm-hmm. diagnosis and just continuing to do those things. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, that it also really mattered that you were able to be willing to identify those things and being vulnerable, you know, yeah. because I can imagine that there is a pull to be able to say, no, I've got it all managed. I'm good. And and so it's good to be able to to say, no, actually, somebody cleaning my house would be really meaningful. And, you know, um, I know one of my friends said that uh, she reached this point where she's like, if one more person delivers a pan of baked ziti for my freezer, I'm going to lose my mind. Yes. (laughs) And and understanding even that there needs to be a pacing for that. I think that one of the things I sometimes see with the meal train is there every day for the next 12 weeks somebody is bringing you a meal. And that's incredibly overwhelming. And especially you may not want to interact with the person who's dropping them off. Not because you don't want to see them, but because you're just not in the right headspace to be engaged. And, you know, also it's really important for people to know the goal is deliver the meal as gracefully as possible and exit as gracefully as possible. You know, some people may want a visitor, but some people may not. So, you know, setting almost like an internal timer, I can visit, but I'm only going to visit for so long. Right. Just so that it's not overwhelming. Yeah. And I think the frequency of Grace set it up, or I think actually it was another friend of ours, Lisa York, set it up, and it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I think it started in September, and we had it literally all the way through April or March. I think she had said it and then extended it. It went out to so many people. And I don't feel like, you know, if it's somebody that's way outside of your immediate circle, like you don't expect, but I mean, it was people at my kid's daycare. Mm -hmm. And so I I think it's just any, everybody wants to help. So even if you're new to a town and you don't really know a lot of people or you don't have that grace or you don't have this tight knit group from your, from your daughter's, you know, daycare class, there are people who will see you. I mean, yeah. I was still walking in and out of daycare doing drop off and pick up and they would leave it in the fridge at daycare. So I would just grab it when I was there. Mm-hmm. So it, it was perfect because I didn't have the obligation of having to have these lengthy conversations with people that I wasn't super close with, mm-hmm. but still wanted to help and reach out to a family that was part of their community of, you know, whether it's daycare or elementary school or your church or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Can you um, touch on, was there anything that was unhelpful? The biggest part was, I mean, we got so many, you know, I'm like, I never got so much mail besides bills in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I was was like, this was like my birthday for months, which was wonderful. But a lot of it was breast cancer gear or things that I'm just like, I don't, it's a reminder of. So there are things that. I loved like a fleece or my one of my girlfriends or a bunch of my girlfriends went in and got me great bracelets mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they said Steph Strong and we're pink. Oh no, oh, no. no. Yes. Well the Steph Strong bracelets were fantastic, uh-huh. yes. But then the bracelets uh, she believed she could so she did. Yes, courage. Yeah. Courage and then there was Soul Sisters. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's like knowing you have this army of people yeah. battling with you. Yeah. 
on your arm, but it's not like emblazoned with the pink, pink the yes. pink or the cancer <laughs> ribbon or, yeah. you know, I mean, they're, everybody means well, you know, I, I don't want people to feel like they have to buy something and send it. Yeah. I had a, a, one of the members of my dissertation committee went through breast cancer and had said that she felt very offended by the fact that she was diagnosed and then handled, handed all this pink stuff and was like, you're a warrior now. And she's like, hold on, I'm going through a big emotional time and I really don't want to identify with all this pink stuff right now. Right. You know, maybe when I'm in a different headspace, I will. Right. But right now, this feels not so great. Or the, the you're so strong, I could, you know, I'm like, you don't have a choice. Yes. So I think it's very, it's being very cognizant of the the words that you're using when you're talking to the person. Like, I am strong. Mm-hmm. I was strong before I had yeah. cancer. Yeah. But you're not given a choice. Like, yeah. you've got to woman up and do this. Yeah. And you still raise your family and you still are a spouse and you still are a friend and a sister and a daughter. And none of those things go away. But... You're not just strong because you are, you know, going to get chemo and have to have mm-hmm. face surgery. So mm-hmm. it's it's just using choosing words wisely. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the, you know, when you're pregnant and everyone wants to come up and like touch your stomach. Yes. It's kind of like just thinking through those types of things. Like, yeah. what would I want to hear if I was on the receiving end? Yes. So. Yeah. A few things I want to ask about. You had also mentioned it was easy for people to identify your needs, but not necessarily easy to identify that your husband had needs and your kids had needs during this time. What words of wisdom would you offer? Yes. So I think for the kids, it's, it's easier. I mean, I think, you know, people know, like I can come and take your kids and take them for a play date or take Mm -hmm. them for dinner or I'm, I'm taking my kids to the movie. Do you want me to bring them too? So just letting them still have all the fun and normalcy, like I said before, that, they would have had if this wasn't the situation. But the bigger thing I think is for this for your spouse, the caretaker, the person who's there day in day out, but nobody's focusing or thinking like, oh, hey, Steve, how are you doing? I think it, it was important for men, his you know his friends in the neighborhood, at work, <clears throat> church, or from home, or from um, other parts of area or other areas that we've lived. To reach out and touch mm-hmm. in, touch base with him and see how is he doing? What mm-hmm. does he need? Mm-hmm. Does he need a night out and a break from, you know, being here? I mean, he, he was a nurse, so he's there yeah. doing it for his for day his job, job and then yeah. coming home and taking care of his wife. So I think it's really important to ask those same questions that you're asking the person who's going through it mm-hmm. to their spouse. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what can we do for you? Like, can we take you out to dinner? Can we get you a break from this being your day-to-day? Yeah, and I could imagine that particularly for your husband, it can feel like, like going back to that sense of vulnerability, how does he allow for the fact that he can't protect you and, you know, and yes. do all those kind of traditional masculine roles for when you're going through cancer? Yep. The other piece that, that I loved, and I'm wondering if it was loved by you as well. <laughs> oh, gosh, I um, we did all of you shave your heads. <laughs> <laughs> My husband did shave his head with me. There was a lot of celebrating and that felt really good as a friend to be able to celebrate a lot of moments with you, especially my favorite one was when we were all here on the day of your last treatment, champagne and cards and balloons. Was that sense of celebrating good? 
Yes, I think it was. For me, it was milestones. I think when you when you look, when you're at the beginning of the road and you look down and you're like, this is just so far, how am I going to make it? How am I going to get there? And you're counting down the chemo treatments. For me, yes, it was, it was helpful having those small, you know, celebrations along the way. Steve had a big, I think just because of his field that he's, that he works in, knowing that, hey, I don't want you to just get in that mindset of this is the end because it's not, you still have so much longer to go. So I think it's kind of coaching yourself through it and really, you know, being aware of, okay, yes, I can celebrate these different intervals throughout the journey, but that I still have other components that are coming after this. I like a celebration, so personally, it's nice to have a party. To look it's nice to, to have, yeah. And it was a surprise. I came home, and there were what ten of uh, my dearest friends here. My mom was on Facetime because she wasn't. It's they're not in town, so she was you know someone's phone, and it was great to just have that support and love here in a room together. And they didn't stay long. It was mm-hmm. here. It was during the day. I had some champagne, and they brought me great treats. And they were in and out in probably no longer than like thirty minutes. Oh, so that's amazing! It's a great okay, to have yeah. a celebration, but yeah. also again being aware of that internal timer. Like, hey, we're not going to be here and like extend this. Yes. For hours upon hours, because you did just finish your last day of chemo and you rang the bell, but now yeah. you're home and yeah. you're tired. Yeah. And you just want to, you know, yeah. relax with your husband. And you, when your kids get home from school and we'll get out of your, no one's a hair, but we'll just, <laughs> <laughs> get out of your hat and we'll go now. So, yes, I think yeah. it's important because you just constantly feel that, that close, that j- they're rising you up yeah. and lifting you up. And I think it was so important because. There are days when you're like, gosh, I, I, you know, no one's reached out. And you're mm-hmm. just so used to that. And as you mm-hmm. get further along, everyone kind of goes back to their normal mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of feel like, well, I'm still dealing with this. Yes. And, you know, I don't have, and you, don't, uh, yeah. you don't have that constant yeah. bubbling up. I know. I have um, terrible ADD. And one of the things that I do, which sounds really odd, but it's helped, is I put appointments on my calendar to remember that friend moving forward, you know, so because I just know I will get into the rhythm of my life and it will be very easy for me to move on and not that I'm not thinking about them, but I actually sometimes plant reminders in my calendar to make sure that I'm thinking of them and reaching out because I just want to always make sure Yep. They don't feel like they That's a great idea. And for friends to remember, like, this is a marathon. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the beginning, we had kind of a kickoff party, too. And just remembering, like, you're right, at the beginning, there's this huge rally. But truly, treatment goes on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the energy, while we it, it all wants to stay as strong, you're right, life gets busy. But you have to remember, your friend is still going through this. Yes. Like, it it yes. doesn't end for her. Right. How would you say, so now you're on the other side of it by two years. How has that changed the way that you engage with life? I was on a um, research team in my graduate program where we were studying post-traumatic growth and people who went through cancer. And there were always these ways that it kind of, this big event slaps your life into a very different course. But sometimes that course can feel really unique and also meaningful. Anything about the way that you live now that is has been influenced by your experience? Yes, definitely. I think, you know, you just are much more intentional with your time and the people you want to, you know, surround yourself with. You realize, you know, 
family is of the utmost importance, which, you know, obviously I realized before, but you're like, this is this, I've got this one precious life and mm-hmm. it could have ended a lot. I mean, it could have ended, but mm-hmm. thankfully it didn't. Thankfully I'm here. Thankfully I had a great medical team and I caught it early. For me, it was more the mental and emotional impact. I didn't realize how difficult that would be. Mm-hmm. And you know, I really wanted to be like, okay, I had cancer and now I want to go out and change the world. I want this big, huge career change. And do I need to move because my family's not here and my husband's mm-hmm. family isn't here. And you realize like those are the people that matter the most. So we need to move. We need to move back to Ohio. And I mm-hmm. saw an, an amazing oncology therapist and she was like, no life changing decisions right now. Yeah. You're still in the thick of all of this. So let's just kind of take it day by day and focus on getting back to, you know, you're not, you're not going to wear those shoes that you wore before, but just realizing what the new shoes look like over here Mm -hmm. and kind of taking time to adjust to that and not that you have to change everything right now. Yes. I know that I don't want to be in the field that I'm in now forever. It's like, how can I take my experience and help other people while I'm still doing this job over here that doesn't necessarily you know, make me want to jump out of bed in the morning, Mm -hmm. but it's a job and it's a good job and I'm thankful Mm -hmm. for it, but I want something that I feel like I'm making a difference. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's been being on panels and having really open and candid conversations with people. I even stopped a woman on the side of the road one day. She's walking down the street with the telltale pink and white bag and Uh she was bald and I pulled over and she had just been diagnosed. Uh Uh And so for me, it's been... Like, what can I do? How can I help other people who are going on this journey? Mm -hmm. And what can I do to help make it a little bit easier for them? Maybe they don't have the support system that I was fortunate enough to have, Mm -hmm. but how can I make it a little bit better for them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's having, I think, these really open, candid conversations, being on panels, talking about especially the mental and emotional impact, seeking help from a therapist, and also, I always mix this up, psychiatrist or mm-hmm. psychologist. Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist um, <laughs> for medication. And mm-hmm. I really didn't want to have to be on medication because I'm like, I, again, just went through all this chemo and had all these drugs put into my body, and now I'm on something for anxiety and depression will this Mm -hmm. last forever is it Mm -hmm. ever going to go away but Mm -hmm. I had something that triggered this depression and anxiety and I'm okay with being on the medication so I can be me and be the best version of me yeah and that's okay and there's a stigma around it and whether it's because you were diagnosed with cancer or whatever the case may be it's okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we need to erase that stigma Well, Stephanie, I am so grateful for your time, and I love being able to witness your um, amazing friendship with Melissa. So um, I think that definitely it's it's really wonderful to hear how well your friends were able to support you and that there weren't any massive horror stories. No, thank you so much for joining us today on The Curious Mother. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Curious Mother. If you liked what you heard, the greatest compliment would be to share this with your community of moms and to give us a great rating on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother and check out our bios and resources at The Curious